Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Well, we are in a series called Unshaken Surrender. And we're looking at the book of Philippians, and we're looking at the theme of perseverance. And though Philippians is not necessarily known for like this main theme of perseverance, there are threads that we can pull from the book of Philippians and what Paul is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit uh, to communicate what we need in this time. And as the crew and I prayed over what God would be speaking uh, over us and through us and among us during the season, it was clear that the Lord was like, persevere persevere through this time. And these times are not easy times. As Sarah said earlier during communion, these are not easy times for Christians to be living through. It's difficult. It's downright difficult to be a follower of Jesus in these times on the face of the earth. Anyone. It just seems like there's so much difficulty. There's a crisis around every corner. How do we live in the face of difficulty? How do we persevere in our relationships? How do we persevere in the vision that God's given us as a local church? How do we persevere as followers of Jesus? That's kind of what we're after in this series, Unshaken Surrender. And Tammy did a wonderful job. Our children's pastor, Tammy, did a wonderful job a few weeks ago talking about how do we persevere through suffering. And Ben Barnhart, our community life pastor, did an amazing job as well uh, last Sunday talking about humility and what, what that looks like in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about our get up and go must have got up and went. Who is familiar with that Pete Seeger song from like way, way back? He didn't write it. It was a poem originally. But do you guys ever feel like that? You guys ever feel like your get up and go got up and went? I know it's a catchphrase, but like you're out of energy. Like, oh, do I have to put on this mask one more time? Do I have to interact with this person one more time? It seems like Groundhog Day over and over and over again for us in these times. It's difficult. How do we persevere through that when we feel drained of energy? How do we live in love as Christians, as followers of Jesus? And what we're going to see today in our passage is that there is a tension that I really want to draw out between the work that God does in us in the work that we do in that relationship and really draw out attention there. And then we'll talk about very practical theology for like Christian living. We said at the outset of this uh, sermon series that Paul is super duper practical in this epistle, in this letter to the church at Philippi. It's like really, really practical stuff. And so we'll, we'll, we'll um, talk about that a little bit. And then we'll talk about community and love in the church. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, whether you're online or you're here in the room and you wanted to turn to the book of Philippians with me, we're going to be in the second chapter. So Philippians 2, verses 12 through 30. And I wanted to read it through together. And so last week, as you remember, Ben 
uh, taught on the section, the passage before, and there's this beautiful poem about who Jesus is that Paul decides to place in his letter to this church that he's planted. And keep in mind now, Paul is writing from a prison cell. For the sake of Jesus, for the cause of Christ, Paul is locked up. He's locked up. And he gives this beautiful uh, poetic moment where he talks about who Jesus is and how he humbled himself and died on the cross for our sins and then how God exalted him to the highest place. Keep that in mind. We've just heard who Jesus is in this beautiful piece of poetry. And then Paul writes this, Therefore, Therefore, because Jesus is amazing, because Jesus is high and exalted as we worshiped him this morning, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Some of you have grumbling and complaining there. So that you may become uh, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain or for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as, as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him uh, only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men and women like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Because you weren't there, right? Gosh, so a lot going on there. A lot going on here. 
And I wanted to draw out a few tensions and then move into a time of worship together. But the first thing that we see here is this tension between our work and God's work. What does this mean to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? What is that all about? We read it there in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Well, we, we, we said at the top, that word there, therefore, is super duper important. And it's important because Paul is drawing our attention to the poem that he just penned in the passage above it. Because what Paul is saying here in verse 12 is, in light of who Jesus is, the reality that Jesus humbled himself, got lower than any other human being on the planet, lowered himself, humbled himself, and said yes to going to the cross for crimes he didn't commit, for sins he didn't do, to die in our place. Therefore, in light of who Jesus is and what he did, work it out. Church, work it out. And we may say, well, wait a second. I thought, I thought grace was free. I thought there was nothing to work out. It was paid for at the cross. There's nothing I have to do to receive the salvation that Jesus brought. And most scholars and most commentaries usually fall on one side of this mountain or the other. They either say, they either say, it's all God's work in you. And so you don't have to do anything to call yourself a follower of Jesus. Or folks say, because what Jesus did was so great, you have to try to match that in your own effort and try to earn something that we all know. How many of you have been down that path before? Ever tried to earn God's salvation? What does that end in? It ends in a lot of pain and a lot of frustration, but it does end with the awakening of our spirits to see that we can't do it. We can't do enough good deeds to earn God's favor. We can't be good enough on our own. And so most theologians and scholars and commentators will usually typically fall on one side of this mountain or the other. It's either all God's work and I don't have to do anything, or it's all my work, which ends in frustration. So what I wanted to do is draw out this tension. Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, work it out. You see, what Paul is saying here is that even because of, because of who he is, that he is God in the flesh, that Jesus is God put on skin and bones to become like us, to know how we feel, to know how we think, to know how we relate with one another, because he's God in the flesh. Even the inclination, even the desire 
to get close to God or to become more like Jesus, even that we lack the power to carry out. Even the inclination comes from God himself. If there, another way to say it is that if there is any desire in you, in your heart, to get closer, to make a move towards God, that you didn't put that there, that God put that desire in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other places, we read Paul writing, I know what I ought to do. I know what I should be doing, and I know what I shouldn't be doing. But I lack the power to stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing, and I lack the power to do what I should be doing. I know I should be doing. And then he ends this passage in Romans, and he says, what? The most powerful conjunction in the English language. But, but, however, praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul, what Paul's communicating here and what he's communicating in Romans is that he can't do it on his own, out of his own strength, out of his own power. And simultaneously, he recognizes the tension in God's work and his role in God's work. Let's draw it out a little bit more and talk about the synthesis of where this happens. If, it, if the inclination, if the desire to move closer to God is all his doing, well, that lets me off the hook, right? Or I don't have to do anything because, after all, grace is a free gift. Well, Paul would say something different. His view here in Philippians is more synthesized. The two working together. A theologian once said, God's working in us is not suspended because we work. Likewise, our working, nor, nor our working suspended because God works. Right? So what Paul is getting at here is what we love to talk about at Vineyard Cleveland. We love to talk about this. Because what Paul is referencing here is the partnership, is the relational dynamic. Jesus forming you with you. Jesus doing through you what you couldn't do on your own requires a partnership. And what Paul is saying is that even that yes that you give Jesus to that partnership is a result of his power working through you. So it's like this holy dance, right, that's happening. It's this clumsy dance at times. It's an awkward dance at times. It's very, it's very difficult sometimes. It requires perseverance to hang in there with God and trust him, even when it doesn't look like he's working on the surface, even when it doesn't look like he's working in our families, even when it doesn't look like he's working in our communities. It requires trust. It requires perseverance to hang in there. You know, Mother Teresa was famous as quoted that she didn't hear the voice of God for like 10, 15 years. A stretch of like 10 and 15 years. You say, oh, not her, this godly saint of a woman serving the dead and the dying in Calcutta in the poorest of poor environments. 
not her. Yeah. And that's Paul's sentiment here. It's that it's not only God's work in us, and it's not our work alone, but it's this holy partnership that he's begun. And as we read earlier in Philippians, that he's faithful to complete. Yeah, so there's this holy partnership that each follower of Jesus takes on. And each of us are inclined to join through the Holy Spirit that is so beautiful. And that's what Paul is drawing our attention to here is this partnership. This partnership. He moves on and he talks about grumbling and complaining. Can we just skip that part, please? (laughs) It would be much easier if we just skipped over that part. What does he say? He says, do everything. (laughs) Not everything. Don't I get to complain about some things? Come on, Paul. I told you, we're going to get really practical here. Paul, this is just as practical as all get out. He's not coding the language at all. He's not speaking around it. He's flat out saying, hey, don't grumble and complain. (laughs) Like, don't do it. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Grumbling and complaining. You know, the etymology behind these Greek words and the English words that we use, you can almost hear it phonetically as we pronounce grumbling and complaining, the meaning intrinsic in the way that we say it. You guys ever, you guys ever, feel, in the, in the, you guys ever feel in the pit of your stomach like, like gravel grinding because of this certain person or this certain situation? The word complain is, is defined, it means, it means a, a low rumbling, a rumbling, a low rumbling. Grumbling means to mutter, to mutter through your teeth. Any of these, feel, any of these feelings familiar with you guys? No, no. Oh man, this is a tough one for me. To complain, it's got, it's got definitions in beating the breast. Complaining, grumbling. Paul gets super practically, and he's essentially saying in shorthand form the story of the Israelites. Check out 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10. Here it is in long form. We get it in short form here. Here it is in long form. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, referring to the Israelites. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. And were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by 
the destroyer. This is Paul's heart for the church. By talking about the history of the Israelite people, the Jewish people, he says, don't be like this. Church, this is really practical. At the heart of not grumbling and complaining is the heart of Jesus. He's saying that grumbling and complaining, argument, divisiveness is at the heart of every bad, bad thing that could happen to the church, the people of God. Stay away from this, is what Paul is saying. Stay away from grumbling and complaining. These are very bad things, man. That's what Paul is saying. Really bad things. Paul is saying while you are being saved, right? Talking about working out salvation, which we, a lot of times we think about as an individual thing, right? Me and my walk with Jesus or whatever, But Paul's writing the letter to the church, plural, the people of God, not the person of God. And he's saying, don't grumble or complain. As you all are working out your salvation, right? Like we just read, as you all are doing this together, community together, it's very unwise to whine against the one who's saving you all. That's very unwise. So super practical here. And again, here the power to walk this out is found only in Jesus. Have you tried to stop grumbling and complaining without the help of Jesus? It's pretty darn near impossible. I'm just saying from experience, (laughs) it's really impossible to not grumble without the help of Jesus. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit to awaken us for some self-awareness to just see like, whoa, am I complaining again? How many times do we complain and it just like, we don't even notice, right? It becomes part of our language here in Cleveland. The sun, just this week, I'll use an example. I, I come home like every day and I'm like, Sarah, I hate February in Cleveland. February, the Super Bowl's over. The sun still goes down at 4.30 in the afternoon. All these are, you know, the gravel in the pit of my stomach. (laughs) It's cold. Single digits this morning. Nine nine degrees. I got to walk the dog in nine degrees. And I walk around, you know, grumbling and complaining. And I don't even realize I'm doing it until Sarah says, hmm, why don't we figure out some ways that we can make February great, Eben? Let's figure, let's figure out some ways to make February great. And what was happening there was that the Holy Spirit's like, hey, through my wife, you guys listen to your wives. Yeah. He's saying, hey, you're a child of God. Grumbling and complaining have no place on your lips. There's no, there's no place for that talk. Well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, this is the way that I feel. No, it's not just a matter of like, I'm just being honest. You know that one? To excuse complaining. I'm just being honest. No. You're called to, you're called to speak differently. Grumbling, complaining, that's not to be on your lips. Say, so, yeah, we could talk forever about grumbling in complaining, but the fact is that the power to walk this out is only found in Jesus. 
And the translation here is that the more we walk with Jesus and the deeper we choose to go with him, which is, remember, even a result of his power in us to say yes to him, the less complaints should leave our mouths. The gravel in our stomach gets smoother. The low rumbling ceases to become a lifestyle. The more we relate with Jesus, the more he takes our complaints and turns them into crowns. He moves on. He says, why do you, why do you not do these things? Again, very practical stuff. He says, because he wants us to step into our identity as children of God. To paraphrase. Why not grumble? Why not complain? Verse 15 so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, identity, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, and that you would shine like stars. So, okay, I stay away from these things. I say yes to Jesus and invite him in. Invite him in, and I recognize that my invitation to you, God, is only there because you invited me first. And I say yes to that as well. And what happens is that through this holy dance, through this partnership, he transforms our lives to make us more like him. Blameless. Children of God. Shining like stars. And this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Shining like stars. And I want to tell you what shining like stars does not mean. Because you know that some of the brightest stars in the kingdom of God are the most hidden in humanity's eyes. What Paul is talking about here, the shining that he's not talking about is significance in the eyes of other men and women. What Paul is not talking about when he talks about shining like stars is not popularity on social media. Paul is talking about shining as the light of Christ shone. As we give of ourselves, as we do the hard thing, not the easy thing. We see his light shining on ours. And that's so big and worth so much more, right? Than significance in other people's eyes or popularity on social media or fame or honor from other people. Yeah, the word of God says, humble yourselves and he will exalt you. Some of the shiniest people in the kingdom of God will never know their names. And that's beautiful. And that's amazing. And that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be like. And Paul says he's poured out like a drink offering. Again, some temple imagery here to say what it feels like for him to be locked up in, in jail. To be locked up in prison for the cause of Christ. He's being poured out. There's this temple, Hebrew temple imagery that's being played on here. He's saying if you're going to be sold out 
for the cause of Christ, for the rule and reign of Jesus in your life, a lot of times you're going to feel like you're being poured out and there is nothing left. Right? Paul's almost like foreshadowing his death here in a sense. Like, I know where this is headed. And we talk about shining like stars. The guy we followed shone so bright, they killed him for it. They hung him on a cross. And Paul's saying, I'm being poured out right now. That's what it feels like. I'm being poured out. And literally as well, he's being poured out. He's locked up. And then he says later in verse 18, this should be causing you joy. That should be a, that should be a point of joy for you. And that should be something that you shoot for too. To be locked up in jail? No. To be poured out, yes, because it's worth it. And it's worth so much more. Jesus is worth so much more than any other lesser light or shiny star. So good. And then he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus there. He's going to send Timothy. Epaphroditus is ill. What's going on there? He was looking like he was going to die. And now he's alive. Going to send him your way too while I'm locked up. And just from what we can gather through that is that I wanted to speak to the younger people in the room, to the kids in the room. Timothy, there's this father-son relationship with Paul. And maybe, maybe you're 60 and, and you still feel young too. I want to speak to you. Like don't let people look down because it, it goes both ways, right? Don't let people, the scripture says, don't let people look down on you for your age. Like what you're bringing, what Timothy is bringing is just as valuable and precious in the sight of the Lord as someone who seems to have it all together, who seems to have life all figured out, who seems to have all this experience, and vice versa too. If you're moving into the twilight of your life, if you're moving forward in your 60s, 70s, 80s, hey, the job's not done yet. Paul says, look at this crooked and depraved generation. Look outside. Look what's going on. There's work to be done. The kingdom has not come in fullness yet. And there's room for you too. So the gospel here is the synthesis between God's work and our work. That salvation is a gift freely given, yet we play a role in our own transformation and the transformation of all things by saying yes. By saying yes. And even that desire is placed in our hearts by God. And we can have peace and contentedness to stay away from grumbling and complaining and lean into, by his power, the amazing journey and spirit-filled life that he has for us. And that is what we're invited into. As we worship together, I want to invite some of you, um, maybe you're in the room this morning or maybe you're tuning in online, I want to invite some of you into that holy dance. And in fact, if you feel, you sense right now that you're being drawn, that's the Spirit of God drawing you. That's what we just talked about. That's God's Spirit drawing you. It's not the power of persuasive speaking. It's not anything else. It's not your own emotions being whipped up. It's the Spirit of God. He's drawing you. He wants relationship with you. And so I just want to lead you in this prayer. If that's what you want, you want um, 
a relationship with God, I want to pray with you. And you just pray this. You just pray, God, I want a relationship with you. I'm tired of running away or I'm tired of not caring about relationship with you. I want relationship with you. You say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are, that you are Lord. You just say that to God. And you just say to God, I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry for the ways that I've gone against your heart. And then just invite him into your life. That's it. You just say to him, come and live inside of me. Come fill me with your presence, God. I need you. And if you prayed that with me, you're a new creation. That's what the word of life says, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that you have a new life and a new identity, that you are a child, in fact, of God. And we want to walk with you in that journey, in that process, and there's community for you to experience in that journey. But we're going to worship together. Jonathan's going to lead us in some worship, and um, then we'll close. If you guys wanted to stand with me, and just invite God, just invite him into the room. He's already here with us. So, yeah, I guess it's more like wake our awareness up to your presence, God. You're already here.